Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how God wanted to show Abraham a great land and country in Canaan, but only after he left his home country. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. And the words of God that resonated inside Abraham were these words, Get thee out. Because it's a picture of Abraham choosing God over country. It's a picture of Abraham choosing God over his kindred, his people. It's a picture of Abraham choosing God over his father's house. That the father of the Jewish people be clearly seen as first choosing Jehovah Jesus over the Jesus-rejecting Jewish people. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study from the book of Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So the history of the father of the Jewish people, Abraham, is a history of a man who chose Jehovah Jesus over his people in his father's house. So to be a follower of the father of the Jewish people, to be Jewish, is to choose Jehovah Jesus over the Jewish people in the Jewish father's house. And to say that to be Jewish is to choose against Jehovah Jesus and side with the majority of the Jesus-rejecting Jewish people, that's revisionist writing. Because it's not what history states here in Genesis 12.1. And this is such a major issue for the Jewish people that God chose this picture of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, choosing Jehovah Jesus over his people in his father's house. And that's why it's so important. I mean, I have in my mind as I'm telling you this, the Hasidic Orthodox rabbi who came out and prayed with us to receive Jehovah Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and then returned home, and he was so excited to begin his work of, uh, as he could have put it, gently introducing the concept of Jehovah Jesus. There's no such thing, but anyway, to his Jewish wife, who bore his Jewish children, and to his Jewish parents, who bought his home <laughs> that he lived in and put him in the business that he was working in, and to his Jewish congregation. And as he ventured into the subject of the Jehovah Jesus, it became clear to him that he had to choose, like Abraham, between Jehovah Jesus and his Jewish wife. He had to choose between Jehovah Jesus and his Jewish children. He had to choose, I mean, think about this, if you were in this situation, between, between Jehovah Jesus and his Jewish parents and the house that they bought him and the business that they put him in and between his congregation. So tragically, he chose to reject Jehovah Jesus, and he called me on the phone and said, Tom, I've decided to remain Jewish. And I told him this passage here in Genesis 12:1 that to be Jewish is to follow Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, who chose Jehovah Jesus over his people and over his house. And because this crisis of choice is such an issue for the Jewish people, all of all the pictures that God has chosen to introduce the father of the Jewish people, God chose this picture of him choosing Jehovah Jesus over all else. So God's call to Abraham was a call of separation. And there came to Abraham at last that moment of separation when Abraham decided that he was going to obey God and leave. And it was not so easy for Abraham, and God knew that it was not so easy for Abraham. So God helped Abraham, made the decision inside, 
And then God helped him by causing his father, Terah, to decide to leave. And then the record says that actually that was how God stated it. God took Abraham out of Ur and then out of Haran as well. So that's what God did for Abraham. That's what God will do for anyone who decides to follow the Lord Jesus or choose him. God will help him as he did Abraham. Then he says in verse 1, to a land I will show thee. Now, he knew how hard it would be for Abraham to leave this country and his people and his father's house. So he balances out, and this is what God does. He balances out the loss of it all with a promise in Genesis 12, 1, when he says, unto a land that I will show you. He promised he'd show him a land that, and Abraham could just imagine, this land is, is going to knock my socks off when I see it. But, and it was a land that God promised to show Abraham, and that was what Abraham had front and center in his thoughts and in his desires as he moved along with God. He gave him these words. These were words from God. A land that I will show you. That's the word of God that was for Abraham that he held on to as he headed away from his country and his kindred and his father's house. Just like it says in Hebrews eleven sixteen, they desire, and Abraham desired, a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And God gave to Abraham a new country to desire, a better country, gave him a new city to desire, one that was prepared by God. Now we see in verse 1 that God has asked Abraham to make three sacrifices in order to follow him, as we've seen. First, Abraham was to sacrifice uh, his uh, being with his country, or his community. Second, Abraham was to sacrifice being with his kindred, or his identity. Third, Abraham was to sacrifice being in his father's house or the place of his comfort or happiness. And so now, notice how God gives to Abraham three promises that counterbalance the three sacrifices or three gifts that counterbalance the three sacrifices. When he says in in Genesis 12, 2, I will make thee a great nation, I will bless thee, I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So first, To compensate Abraham for losing his country, to compensate Abraham for losing his community, God promises to make of Abraham a new community called a great nation. Second, to compensate Abraham for losing his kindred or his identity, God promises to make Abraham's name great so that the people will find their identity in him, in following Abraham. And third, to compensate Abraham for losing his father's house or the place of happiness or comfort or blessing, that God promised that Abraham would be a source of happiness and comfort or blessing to others. And each one of those compensation of a great nation, of making his name great, of being a blessing to others, was so much greater a compensation compared to what Abraham gave up And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said is always the case. When he said in Mark 10, 29 through 30, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses and and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. 
No one has ever really sacrificed for deciding to follow the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he says. He says, because of these things that he says here, because God is no man's debtor. That's what it means in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 when it says, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. In that particular case, it's talking about thy substance, the first fruits of all thine increase. And then it says, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So God wants us to learn this as we see this there, that he never takes away anything. God never takes away anything from us. He only replaces it with something better. And we say, when God is going to take something, we say, no, God, don't take that away. Not that. And God says, I only want to take that away so that I can give you something better, as in the case of Abraham here. So Abraham has these three great promises from God, and there's just one little obstacle that stands in Abraham's way, in the way of believing God. Just one little, just one minor obstacle, because when God told Abraham that he'd make him a great nation, then Abraham looked at himself, and he, and he saw that all his relatives were having babies, but his wife was barren. A little problem. And then when God told Abraham that he'd make his name great, Abraham said, looked at himself, and he says, I'm an unknown alien in a foreign land. How can I have a great name? And when God told Abraham that he'd make him a blessing to others, Abraham saw he didn't own one square inch of land. He didn't have any possessions. to give. How can he give anything to anyone? So Abraham heard what God said, but what stood in opposition to Abraham believing God was what he saw with his eyes. He looked around and he said, that's the problem. So Abraham's circumstances stood in opposition to God's word. And so if Abraham was going to believe God's word, then Abraham had to overcome what he saw. That's the key with Abraham. He had to overcome what he saw with his eyes. If Abraham's going to believe God, then he was going to have to see what he couldn't see. Sounds funny to say that. But he's going to have to see what he physically could not see. And that's the same for us. We know what the Lord Jesus Christ said in John eleven twenty five. When he said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. See, when he said, though he were dead, the Lord was saying, this is a conflict here. There's a conflict here with the though he were dead and yet shall he live. Because the, he's saying this is a conflict between walking by sight, though he were dead, and walking by faith, yet shall he live. And so when we stand at the graveside of a believer and watch the dirt cover the coffin or do as the Jewish people do, which is even more brought into it, that each person goes and takes a little shovel full of dirt and then walks over to the grave and puts it onto the coffin. And so and if you and I are going to believe God when he says, though he were dead, yet shall he live, then you and I have to be like Abraham. We have to overcome what we see with our eyes so that we can see what we can't physically see. And we'll have to overcome seeing the dirt and the worms to see beyond. We have to get like Job. You want to turn Job. Job 19.25-27. through 27. This is really Job's testimony of how he overcame what he saw. And what did he say in Job 19, 25 through 27? He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. 
And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my skin or flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins or kidneys be consumed within me. See, Job said, I see with my eyes the earth of the grave. I see with my eyes the worms eating my body. I see my kidneys being consumed in me. I see all that with my eyes. But he's saying, I have overcome what I see with my eyes so that I, that, so that I can see what I can't physically see. And overcoming, let me tell you, this is what Job is saying. Let me tell you what I see as I've overcome. He says, I have overcome to clearly see that my Redeemer lives. I see my Redeemer Jesus lives. I clearly see now him standing on the earth at the latter day. In other words, he's saying, I clearly see my Redeemer Jesus standing on this earth. He says, I clearly see my flesh restored, and I clearly see myself seeing God. That's funny the way he says that. He says, I clearly see in my body, I clearly see myself seeing him. In other words, he say, I see myself seeing Jehovah Jesus. And he says, and he goes into details because he was interested to see himself seeing Jesus. So he says, I clearly see my own eyes seeing the Lord. And they're not the eyes of somebody else. He makes that clear to us. So how could Job do this? How could Job do this? Because he overcame what he saw and he was consumed by the word of God so that he was able to overcome what he saw and then he could see what he couldn't see. That's what faith is. And faith generates. The word of God generates faith. The word of God uh, gives this sight. That's what it means when it says in Romans ten seventeen, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, as we live in God's word, then when we stand at the graveside of the believer, we can say, I see the worms but I see the worms giving back all the atoms that they have consumed. And I see those atoms reorganizing themselves into the new man. I see the dirt, but I see the dirt bursting aside to release the new resurrected man. So what's the principle we learned from this? God does not want us to be led by what we see in our surrounding circumstances. That's not what God wants. And this is a process. And this process that Job was involved in here is that he was not thinking and he was not drawing conclusions based on what he saw. But what Job was doing is he was thinking and he was drawing conclusions based on the word of God. And you know who's a good example for that? A good person who does a good example for that in the Bible of someone who thinks and draws conclusions from the word of God and not from what he saw. Who was the first person in God's Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Anybody remember? Was it Adam? Was it Eve? Was it the serpent? <laughs> so, who was it? No, it wasn't Moses. It wasn't Seth. Abel. Did you say Abel? I think you said Abel. You said, okay. I thought maybe you were speaking in tongues or something like that. All right, so Abel. So, Abel was the first person. Now, Abel is very interesting because if you look at it in Hebrews 11.4, he's the first person in the Hebrew 11 hall of faith, and it says this, By faith Abel offered unto God, Hebrews 11.4, 
By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and he being dead yet speaketh. Okay. So Abel is a good example of a person who thought and drew conclusions from God's word. How did that happen? He brought a sacrifice to God, which was a blood offering from animals. Uh, By contrast, Cain brought a sacrifice to God, which was from his crops. But when you look at Genesis 3 and 4, this happened in Genesis 4, so you look at the chapter before, Genesis 3 and 4, and we have no record of God telling Cain and Abel to bring a blood sacrifice and not from the crops. When they brought their offerings, we have no record of God telling them to bring blood sacrifices. Both were costly sacrifices, but Hebrews 11.4, the record says that Abel's sacrifice was a more excellent sacrifice. And the way God put it in Genesis 4 and 5, Genesis 4, verses 4 and 5, it explains the difference between the two sacrifices like this. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. So why did God have respect for Abel's blood sacrifice, but no respect for Cain's crop sacrifice? Why was Abel's blood sacrifice a more excellent sacrifice than Cain's? Because Abel thought, and he drew conclusions from God's word, and Cain did not. Abel thought like this. Abel said, God said that the penalty for sin was death. And the day you eat thereof, you shall die in the... Or stopping what the Bible calls the breath of life. You know, the breath of life was not just breathed into man, was breathed into man but it also speaks about animals have the breath of life. So it's as though it's stopping what's called the breath of life. And Adam and Eve sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, then God killed an animal. He stopped the breath of life in the animal. And so Abel's sitting there thinking, I'm a sinner. I have the breath of life. I need a substitute. I need a sacrifice like God did, a sacrifice that has the breath of life. I never saw a tomato breathe. Anyway, (laughs) that I can identify with. Dad, today you talked about how God told Abraham that he would show him the great land of Israel after he left his country. Now, seeing the great land of Israel is nice, but leaving your own country is painful. Is that the way it works with God? No pain, no gain? You know, it's, it's interesting that you should ask that because that's exactly how it works with God. In other words, it wasn't our idea, but this is God's idea. He has certain requirements. And when he said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 2, he said, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. That's painful. But he says, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So in other words, God's saying to Abraham, if you go through the pain of leaving your father's house and your kindred and your country, then I will show you what you don't know. I will make of you what you are not. I will bless you what you do not have now. And so God's requirement for Abraham was very much no pain, no gain. And that's God's requirement. That's why he said to the Jewish people in Deuteronomy ten twelve, and now Israel, what doth the Lord require? That's a key word. This is God's requirements. God requires 
require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. That's God's requirement. That's what he meant when it says in Jeremiah 29, 13, and ye shall seek me and find me when, so that's like a qualification, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. In other words, if you don't search me with all your heart, you won't find me. You can do all the seeking and you can do all the looking, but you won't find me unless you search for for me with all your heart. That's why in Joel 2.12, it says, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. That's painful. Fasting, missing meals is painful. Weeping, crying, mourning, that's painful. But God says, you turn to me with all your heart, and this is how it'll be manifested, and then he promises that he'll, that he'll find him. That's a great term that uh, was used in the book of Acts in Acts eleven twenty three, where it says, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Purpose of heart, that's a beautiful term because it really expresses the allness of it all. You've really set yourself with resolve, with determination, with no turning back. There's a purpose in the heart to do what? To cleave to God. In other words, what God is saying here is that to find him, there must be no room for any rival in the heart. No room for any rival in the heart. God has determined he is not going to be an also add-on into our lives. He's going to be all in all. That's why right after the Shema, hear, O Israel, in Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Then what it says in the next verse is so important. He says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That doesn't leave room for any other rival. See, in Deuteronomy 4.29, he went on to say, but if from thence, in other words, the place where they were really in deep trouble, having been scattered because of their sin, and God told them the way back, he said, if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. It's not a casual looking for God. It's not a casual seeker. It's an intense seeker. And that's what God is saying here. You want to find me? I'm findable. But you must seek me with all your heart and with all your soul. He told them in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. So in other words, in this verse, God is saying it's a matter of life and death. It's not something It's not something superficial. We're talking about life and death. And what is required for life is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. In other words, that's what he's saying. It's a requirement here. But you say, well, how can I do it? He says, just present 
Present yourself to God. Give yourself to God. Let God be the moil. Let God be the circumciser. He'll take the knife. He'll go into the heart. He'll see, oh, here's a love for the unclean. Here's a love for for the unholy. Here's a love for the sin. Give me my knife, God said. Give me my knife so that stand back. I'll do the work. I'll circumcise the heart. As you, you voluntarily lay down on the table, like it says in Romans 12, 12 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Present your bodies. And what does he do? He takes the knife. He sees there's sin here. I will cut it out. I will remove it. And why do we stay on the table? It says in Acts, the purpose of heart to cleave to the Lord, because we trust in his goodness, because we understand that he only takes away so that he can give us something better. But it's painful for us. There is that fella. He's had this relationship with this girl for such a long time. His heart loves her, but he knows this girl has no interest in God at all. And so God says, give me the knife. I will circumcise the heart. And he does it, and afterward there's a freedom, and then God brings the better to him. That's what God does for us. So it's very true, no pain, no gain. But we present ourselves to God, and then he gives us so much more as we see in the case of Abraham. Join the Creation and Earth History Museum for our annual Museum Day celebration. Hi, I'm Tom Cantor, president of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, and I'd like to invite you to Museum Day, Saturday, September 28th, at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Don't miss the grand opening of our new Kids Knee-High Exhibits. We will also feature a live wildlife show by Dan the Animal Man. Activities include a live performance from the cast and crew of Jonathan Park, along with the Jonathan Park Adventure Land, including rides, games, face painting, balloon artists, refreshments, raffles, and more. Special guest speakers, Ray Comfort, Dr. Gary Parker, Dr. John Morris, Dr. Randy Guliza, Russ Miller, and Dan Breeding. This event will help your family understand the importance and significance of the biblical record and how it affects our faith today. It's free, fun, family entertainment. Learn more online at creationsd.org.